Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. As usual, I'm always excited, but a special shout out to Chase, one of our listeners, who reminded me that it's been too long and we got to get this guy on the show. So it's about time. Today's guest has coached at the Seaside Volleyball Club. He's been a member of Team BC, and he's got a Pac West gold medal, a bronze medal, a CCAA national championships with the Capilano Blues. Please welcome to the show, Dave Dooley. Dave, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Actually, I think I forgot the most important thing in your bio. You're a new dad. So actually, I want to thank you for, you know, making time for us here because I'm sure you got a full schedule ahead of you with a, a newborn in the house. You squeak in those nap schedules when you, when you get them, right? So it's all good. <laughs> nice, man. So just to follow your timeline, like, what was it like? Did you grow up in the BC area? Like, what other sports were you playing before you kind of switched on and made volleyball like the, the main thing you wanted to do? Yeah, I, I grew up playing everything. Uh, my, my family is... Uh, they're all basketball coaches for the most part. So uh, my dad claims that my first word was basketball. So I, uh, I grew up uh, in, here in BC. I went to Elgin Park Secondary uh, in South Surrey. And yeah, I played everything, but I kind of switched to volleyball in about grade 10, grade 11, and, and chose to, to focus on volleyball, uh, much to the chagrin of, of my, my dad and uncles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's where we are now. Nice. It, it- kind of leads me to believe that because you came from a family of coaches, is that why you pursued volleyball coaching? Because obviously you're, you're a pretty young guy to already have a national championship under your belt, but w- did you start coaching when you were still playing? Yeah, I, I, I guess I was involved a little bit when, when I was about grade 12. Kind of, I always knew I wanted to coach and, and I'm a teacher as well. So that's, that's kind of what the Dooleys do. We're all coaches and teachers uh, for the most part. Um, so yeah, I, I started coaching as soon as I could and I played two years at Camosun college in Victoria. And, um, when I transferred to U- UVic, uh, I went right into coaching at Camosun right then. Nice. Nice. So was the university your first step or when you said you coaching in grade 12, obviously like you were doing like a school team or a club team, like yeah, what was kind of your first yeah. taste? Just kind of involved with like grade nine, 10 volleyball. Uh, I know we had a, a guy named Sam Hillier at Elgin Park, and he was really into, uh, like he was trying out for provincial team and stuff like that. So I did some one-on-one stuff with him. And when I was at Camosun in my first and second year, I, I coached with Victoria Volleyball Association uh, and ended up taking over their U18 men's program when I transitioned to coaching at Camosun. And so, yeah, it's been, I've, I've been playing all the way throughout, but uh, with a more, more of my focus being on coaching. Nice, nice. And do you think anything that that transferred, obviously, like at the dinner table, if you're hanging out with basketball coaches, you're maybe not talking technical volleyball stuff, but maybe just the way you speak to athletes or the way you organize a practice, do you think that overlapped at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did. 
just growing up with, with uh, a coaching family, you know, it's just kind of part of the blood. I, I grew up going to my dad's Quantlin basketball practices, my uncle's practices uh, in Guelph, and they coached at a, a summer camp called Camp Olympia. And my uncle Chris actually just wrote a book called Can't Miss about Kevin Pangos and, and his experience playing at Gonzaga and, and growing up in Camp Olympia. So, yeah, long story short, it just it, it seems to be part of the blood. And, yeah. I love coaching. It's amazing. Nice, nice. And, and one guy who deserves a shout out that you would have worked with at uh, Camosun would be Charles Parkinson. So what can you tell us about, you know, his influence on your coaching game? Like, did you steal any good drills or, or just the way he does planning? Like when we had Chase on the show, he mentioned that uh, Charles was going through, I think it might have been his level four. So he was big into like a YTP and the seasonal plan and, and the detail he went into that. So with you being on the coaching staff, was there anything you pulled away from that experience? Uh, I, uh, it's just one of, yeah, I got uh, unbelievably lucky uh, when I transitioned to coaching. Charles's son, Devin, was playing at Camosun, and so he was involved as an assistant. And then our head coach left, so he took over. So I got Charles as a mentor coach for, for eight years, and, and even it's ongoing. You know, when I decided to take a step back from Capilano, he's the first guy I called just to pick his brain. And uh, yeah, just an amazing mentor and influence on my life. Took... Uh, everything from him, you know, there's obviously he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, I leave some things, but um, yeah. One of the things I always remember about my experience with him is half of your battle is just, you know, uh, on the ferry ride over talking to your players, right. That's, that's almost the most important part. And that's something I do in my teaching world as well. I I work with uh, alternate education. So kind of marginalized at risk youth and, we base a lot of our stuff in, in attachment theory and just developing those bonds and relationships with my students. And, and that's something I, I really try to do with my athletes as well. Amazing. Yeah. Let's, let's dive down that rabbit hole. I'm perking up here as you're, as you're explaining that. So would you say like as a coach to athlete, like you're always talking about the sport or is this something where maybe you're t- chirping each other about like, Oh, uh, you know, our era, Kobe's maybe the guy, but maybe somebody likes Jordan or somebody likes LeBron. Like, are you just trying to find an interest and kind of talk to them? Or are you keeping it pretty sport specific when you have these, these moments with the athletes? Yeah, I try to do three meetings uh, a year, individual meetings with every athlete. So preseason kind of midway mark and then postseason. Um, and it really depends on the athlete. It's kind of whatever gets them talking. Um, I, I try not to talk. I try to listen more and just kind of ask probing questions and, and get them out of their shell. So, you know, not, not everyone is, you know, volleyball first kind of person. And, and it's really amazing to see how well-rounded, uh, some of these, these men are and tapping into those interests and, and seeing what really makes them tick. And I think, those things can really help you in the volleyball court as well. Kind of once you know how your athletes work and, and how, how they respond. Nice. And, and I'm sure length of season probably influences if you do have time for these three meetings, but is that something you believe in, whether you're coaching like team BC or, or, or coaching with Seaside volleyball club, or even at the college or university level, like, is this something that you, you always try to make time for? Or does the, the length of season or, or who you're coaching kind of influence this plan as well? Yeah, they're, they're pretty uh, intensive. You know, they're about 45 minutes to an hour each. So you definitely need to have a long enough season. Um, Team BC athletes, for sure, will be having at least one individual meeting. Um, next summer is our Canada Summer Games in Niagara. So by that, by then, we're only selecting two athletes. So, you know, it's there's a lot of time for these conversations, which is awesome. Um, Seaside, we had at least one every year. Um, and it's great because it, it gives an opportunity for them to feel like they're heard because I, you know, I, I really want to 
promote that I'm looking to grow myself as an individual because that's what I'm wanting for my athletes too. So I, I'm looking for feedback from my athletes. You know, what, what drills do you like so far? What drills do you want more of? What drills do you want less of? Um, where can we get better? Where can you get better? What are your goals? What are our team goals? Uh, yeah, I think it's very, very important. And, and I imagine most coaches prioritize that as well. Nice. Yeah. Great to hear. And do you find when you make time and you invest in, in these types of conversations that when there is, I guess, conflict arises, probably the big one for us would be playing time, right? As indoor volleyball coaches, like, do you find that you're just able to get to the truth a little bit faster or that there's some trust equity there? Like, do you find it just helps the relationship overall when you invest this time pretty early? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, there's always going to be uh, some conflicts around that and and there should be, you know, I, I want my players thinking, you know, I, I should be on the floor. I'm working my butt off. I, I deserve these minutes. Um, and the message is, you know, that in, in life, you're, you're going to have some of these conflicts and potential disagreements and things like that. But that doesn't mean we can't have a conversation about it. And you can ask me and I can tell you exactly why I'm making those decisions. And when I tell you why I'm making those decisions, you can respond one of two ways. You can be pissed off at me where you can be you know appreciative that i'm being open and honest and i'm telling you where you need to grow in order to actually get those minutes so uh, i really think it's it's important not only for our team chemistry but as individual growth as well awesome man awesome so just uh again going down your chart as somebody who coaches like club provincial team college university all that good stuff do you see any differences in your approach like i I like how you do the meetings but obviously length of season influences it like is there anything else that you you try to invest time whether it's with the older ones because maybe they understand more or or maybe you try to get more face-to-face time with the younger ones so you can build that trust like when you're coaching a college team is it the same approach as a club team or what maybe stands out as different for you I guess uh, just how many athletes you have your, on your team is going to make things very different because I, you know, you just can't manage if you have, I had my first year at Kaplan, I think we had 20 guys um, and really difficult to, to keep everyone, you know, happy and having those individual meetings with everyone. Whereas at Seaside Volleyball Club, when we, we lost in the national final, I think we had nine or, or 10 guys and I coached them six, since they were 16. So um, I was able to get really, really close, like un- unbelievably close to a lot of those kids. And a lot of them are still, I shouldn't say kids anymore. They're, <laughs> they're young men and and they're, you know, uh, on my Capilano team. And so players like that, like, uh, like a Malachi McMullen, who's on my team now, he, you know, he's, I've coached him for, I don't know how many seasons, I think six or seven seasons. I coached him at EMS. I coached him three seasons at Seaside and now a couple seasons at Capilano. So a player like that, uh, I feel very comfortable with, I know that they're going to come to me when they have issues. I don't spend as much time with Malachi as I do a new player that I really don't know as well. And I need to get to know and invest that time into to have that same kind of comfortable rapport as I do with Malachi. Nice. Nice. And is that something that you, you mentioned to the athletes or is it just kind of like a feel thing? Like you mentioned you, you work with Malachi or I think even like Marcus Braxburg would be up there for a guy you've worked with through the years that uh, uh, another coach we had on the show, Pat Johnson, he mentioned that he coached some guys in club and when they came to Fanshawe, like it was nothing for Sabath and Lethbridge to know that he could stop a drill if he didn't think things were acceptable or up to the standard because him and PJ just had that trust. So uh, I, I'm curious, like, you have this athlete for so long. Um, do you eventually get to feel each other out and then they can take on a bigger leadership boy, uh, role with you and then it's not your voice all the time in the gym? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, Malachi was, was second year when we won, when we won the championship and so was Marcus and, and those two were actually battling for the, the starting libero spot. So it was pretty cool, you know, to have 
these, these kids I've coached since they were 15, 16 years old. And now they're going head to head for this starting position that they both wanted. Um, but I think because we had that level of, of really trust and love when it came down to it and Marcus earned the spot over Malachi, Malachi was just an unbelievable team player and, and still a great voice in the huddle. He came in for three rotations, every set. Um, yeah, like, like we don't win it without Malachi, you know, you, you think you're starting six are the guys who do it for you. And it's really not, it's a huge extension of that. And if, if you have kind of some poisons in that huddle that are pissed off for not making the starting roster, sometimes that, that can be the difference between winning a national championship and, and losing it. For sure. Yeah. And, and let's go there. Let's go to the national championship year. So how did you like to lay out a plan? Like, are you a guy who's going to put it on the whiteboard first day of the season? Like we're here to win a national championship or are you stressing just kind of the process and like the next game and the next man up? Or how did you like to lay out that season now that you can look back and say, man, we, we accomplished something pretty special. But if you look back to like preseason or your seasonal plan, like what were, what were the thoughts or goals going into it? I think, I think we knew PacWest was a really strong, strong, uh, league that year. So we knew it was going to be like a lot of great preparations for nationals. We knew we were going to have a lot of battles and really test ourselves throughout the year. Yeah. I think our team retreat really set the stage. Uh, we did an awesome team retreat over the, on the sunshine coast and, and we did all of the, uh, you know, all the things that you're talking about, like our goal setting and our team bonding and everything like that. Um, but at the same time, the things I really want my athletes focusing on are the things they can control. So looking ahead to March when we're in October is not really one of those things we can control. So, you know, we're taking it one point at a time, one work at a time, whatever it might be. Um, but I think we definitely laid the foundation um, and our, our captains did a huge job with that. We had uh, Jacob Hopkins and the Friesen twins were our captains for our national championship year. And um, yeah, like I, I laid out the retreat and they, they basically executed it, which was amazing. Nice. And were there any uh, checkpoints during the season where you knew that you were, you were on pace for something pretty special or, or the other side, was there any adversity where you're like, man, we gotta, we gotta regroup here because it's not going our way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, first, first game of the season, we played Douglas who, uh, you know, came first in league the, the season before and they had pretty much the whole team back. And, and we came out first game of the year with, you know, after graduating, I think I graduated a few guys and then I sent on three guys to U sports. So, you know, we're, 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 we've lost our, you know, maybe two or three of our best players to, to go to U sports, which I'm a big advocate for. I, I think they should be doing that. They should constantly be pushing themselves. But anyway, so first game of the year, we play Douglas and we're thinking, you know, we're a bit of a new team. We haven't felt each other out. This team's a very strong team that already knows each other and we beat them three to one. So that was great. Um, but then we turned around the next night and we lost to them three to one. And then we played VIU also an amazing team that year. And we lost to them both back to back. So we started the season down one and three. And then we just, after that had a terrible week of practices. And I remember we just spent one night in the locker room for about 90 minutes after the practice. And I, I got a little vocal, a little, little more uh, aggressive than I normally than, than normally would be my style. And uh, Carson, my assistant coach, came in with uh, a great little analogy of sowing the seed. And, and that was awesome. And, and that was really our absolute like rock bottom. And then it was, you know, we projected upwards from there, which was amazing. 
Nice, nice. And I, and I have to ask, was that orchestrated by you? Or were you honestly just feeling it and you needed to like react to the situation? Like, did you know you had to bring something different? Or that was just genuinely how you felt in that moment? Yeah, a little bit of both, I would say, but definitely, definitely how I felt in that moment. I, I was supposed to pick up my wife uh, from work, and I was about an hour late. <laughs> um, so it definitely was not the plan. And uh, yeah, I was she was not too happy with me after that one. But it was it was one of those ones that that needed to happen for sure. Nice. And forgive me, I should have looked this up before the show, but going ahead to PacWest playoffs, uh, what was the format? Did you happen to run across Douglas again or VIU? Like what was the what was the mood going into playoffs? And then how did that roll out before nationals? Yeah, so I think uh definitely a testament to our league. Like our league was unbelievable. Like any any of the top four teams and even even college Rockies, who was the fifth seed, could have easily won it. Um, we were we were the we we lost in five in the final match of the year, which would have given us the one seed, but we ended up being the three seed. Um, so we played UFV in the quarter, and they weren't particularly strong, so we went through them easily. And then we played VIU in the semi, and and that was the one that I was really worried about. I thought VIU was was the best team there, um, and we won seventeen fifteen in the fifth, uh, and then we played Camosun in the final. Uh, so pretty cool. Uh, my first provincial final as a, as a head coach playing, playing my mentor coach, Charles. And we went down two to nothing against them. And we came back in one and five. So, you know, you look at our, our semi and our final, and we also went down two to one against Red Deer in the national semi. So we faced seven elimination sets that if we would have lost a single one of those seven sets, our, our season was over. Um, so it just shows you how, how the league really, really prepared us to play under pressure, which was amazing. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. And, and in my experience, there's nothing perfect to say in those moments that's going to like fix it or, or get you steered in the right direction or help the guys deal with the mood. But sometimes you can kind of, like you said, plant a seed or, or have something to anchor to. So when you're in those moments, what are those timeouts like? Like, what are you telling the guys? Because I, I don't think there's anything in that moment that's really going to change them unless it's something you've already like established, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, like in Red Deer in the semifinal, we, we won the first set and then they kind of steamrolled us in the next two. So we're down two to one in a national semi. And it's like, all right, it, this this speech kind of writes itself. You know, we, we just went through this. Uh, we we just came down from two to one against VIU, who, who's a better team than Red Deer. And we won it. We just went down two to nothing against Camosun in, in the pressure pack provincial final. And we came back and won that. So, hey, boys, it's national semifinal. It's it's no different. We've been here before. Like, you guys know what to do. It's Yeah, it was really, really amazing to be able to fall back on that experience in that pressure-packed moment. Now, just a quick sidetrack about nationals. And this, this might be an unpopular opinion, but we just had Chris Tao on Sharp Cuts. And I was talking about U Sports had already arrived. They already did their banquet. And then they canceled due to COVID. And don't get me wrong. I'm like Mr. Safety. I'm still wearing a mask when we're coaching at beach practice here, right? But uh, yeah. for for the U Sports to cancel it, I thought it was a little odd where the CCA went ahead with it. And you guys were already there. Was there a meeting with the athletic directors? Was there a coaches meeting? Like, What were the conversations that you guys decided to go ahead with the event when other sports were being canceled that same weekend? I think we got a little fortunate in, in two ways. Number one, we, we were in Fredericton, New Brunswick. So not like a, you know, a super populated town. And, and so we were a little more, uh, 
you know, not, not as much at risk. I, I can't remember. I think U sports was in Edmonton. Was that what it was? Uh, they were in yeah, Winnipeg like, for Garth last year. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, just more people, some more potential. So I think we were lucky just, you know, that we were in a smaller town. And then I, the second thing that was, was very lucky was that we were just a day earlier. I think if we were a day later, we would have been canceled as well. Okay. Okay. But you guys did make the decision to play with no fans, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, actually, no, because we had, uh, so our first match was the quarter on Thursday. We had the coaches meeting with athletic directors and, and the tournament staff uh, on the Wednesday night. And we were, you know, just kind of talking about protocol, like water bottles and switching sides and stuff like that. Uh, we were planning on having fans there. And the first two quarterfinals, we were the fourth of four quarters and the first two did have fans. So we went into the the third game, which the St. Thomas Tommies were playing. They're they're the host team. And so we walked in. That's when we were going to do our pregame prep and everything like that. And we go in and that's when we find out that there's no fans. So in terms of mental prep, it was definitely, you know, our biggest match of the year, national quarterfinal. We're going in. We have parents. I had one parent who flew from Australia to be there to watch her son play. So, you know, normally we'd be very uh, routine for our, for our pregame routine, you know, uh, but instead we're kind of having to phone our parents and let them know you can't come to the gym and things like that. So we were definitely thrown for a loop a little bit, but uh, it, it turned out to be a great thing because we had a, an absolutely amazing bench in terms of energy uh, and they were really, you know, able to, to provide that energy, uh, positive energy throughout the whole, whole tournament where other teams maybe maybe didn't have that in the same way. And how did you and your staff feel about the prep going in? Because, uh, again, I'm just trying to look up the results. I think you played a couple Ontario schools. You played Humber in the final, but did you play Durham in your quarter? Yeah, we played Durham in the quarter. Um, and we our provincial championship was the weekend before everyone else. So we, we essentially had a full week to kind of rest and recover while watching uh, the other finals. And so I think we had a major advantage in terms of prep. Uh, you know, I, I put in quite a few hours in the video. So it was awesome. Nice. And is that, uh, I should know this by now, but uh, does the league have a database? Like they, you had access to their whole season or just like the, the final playoffs for them? Uh, I watched all, a lot of them live. And then we, we get the match tape from, from the final from the provincial final for each one. So we have a database for, for our, our league, but I don't believe we have access to like every match from, uh, from the regular season and things like that from other schools. And then you played Red Deer in the semi, right? Yeah. And now as far as, as I think college men's volleyball goes, that's as good as a program as there is. It seems like they're always competitive. They're always relevant. So are, is that story being told in your team room? Or are you just treating it like this year and not like the history that is Red Deer and all the medals they've won? Like, are, is, is it you're playing like Big Bad Red Deer and it's like the Yankees? Or you guys were just looking across the net about who the specific guys were this cycle? As you have your Yankees hat on right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a Blue Jays fan, so you know it was a little sore when I saw that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, Capilano has been to the national final two times before we were in it, and they lost both times to Red Deer. So it's definitely something my guys were aware of. But uh, you know, the focus has to be on your side. We have to focus on what what we're doing. Um, you know, what we're doing to combat what they're doing, but mostly it's about what we're doing. And it's not anything about legacy or how many championships they've won or, or whatever. It's, they have a whole new team. 
you know, they had, they had a pretty young team and, and none of them had been in national finals before that I knew of. So it's not like they came with all this experience. You know, we were, we were in the same boat. Nice, nice. And when we had Marcus Bratsberg on the show, he mentioned the national final was kind of a unique matchup in terms of Humber. It was pretty athletic and they had some high flyers and they were bangers and you guys were a little bit more ball control, a little bit more system. So did you feel that as a coach or was that maybe something that this Marcus and the guys were feeling? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like funny, funny story was, uh, like the night before the, the game, we, we beat red deer in five and we go back to the hotel and, uh, my assistant coach and I are just kind of trying to calm down a little bit, have just having a beer at the pub. And, uh, he walks by the, the Humber huddle and they're, they're already talking about how amazing it is to, it's going to be tomorrow to win a ring. <laughs> and, <laughs> So my, my coach, my assistant coach is like the exact opposite of me. He's kind of brass. He's, you know, six foot eight, he's a massive dude. He walks right up to the huddle and tells him, boys, we got, we got a lot of volleyball to play tomorrow. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty cool that he went and did that. Um, but yeah, like in terms of, I don't, I wouldn't call it David versus Goliath or anything like that, but we were, we were definitely opposites. You know, they had a perfect season. We ended our season third in the league. They, you know, hadn't really been tested in the tournament and we'd gone to five with Red Deer, but like that, I think that more than anything that really helped us, you know, they, they hadn't, we knew that if we could put them under pressure, it would be a pressure that they hadn't really experienced all year. And, you know, it's, it's really tough to, to respond to that pressure in, in, a, in an appropriate way when you're on a stage like that. So we knew all we needed to do is put them under a little pressure and, and we really did like it was our best match of the year by far. Uh, I don't, they didn't get to 20 points in a single one of the sets. Nice. Nice. And when you say apply pressure, is that with your serving strategy? Is that the way you guys wanted to side out and get the ball back quickly? Like what was the, what was the action part of you applying pressure to make them kind of feel that they were in for a battle? Yeah, we, they, they had a, a pretty strong, a big setter, but he, he wasn't super mobile. Um, so definitely a lot of it was tactically from, from the service line. Uh, I really wanted to serve, even though the, their libero was, was one of the top liberos in the tournament, I wanted to serve a lot to position one to affect him locating his left side. Um, and I think that hurt him a little bit for sure. Cause he wasn't the most mobile getting around and squaring to the left. And so a lot of his balls died and, and then we were just able to let our block D go to work. Um, Bratsburg was, was absolutely on fire in, in position five, digging the angle. Um, he dug, I don't know how many balls it was, it was quite the performance. And, and we kind of had our first performance from the service line where just, you know, like five of the six guys seemed to be on, which if you watched our provincial final was, was definitely not the case. I think we had two, two guys miss seven serves in five sets, like individually missed seven <laughs> serves. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously that was a huge area of focus for us in the, in the two weeks leading up to nationals. And then it all came together at the right time. Yeah. You BC guys are earning a, a reputation here with, I think Kerry McDonald might deserve the starting credit, but it sounds like Capilano could get after it from the service line. It seems like coach Hawkins is still doing it at UBC. So w- with your own philosophy, when you have guys missing that much, like, are you, are you addressing it in timeouts? Or are you saying this is our identity? We need to be aggressive because I think one of the biggest myths in volleyball is the ACE to air ratio. I really don't care about it. And I don't think it includes that many serves, but if you're 
putting pressure on them if you're scoring points or if you're getting them out of system like that's the real value so what do you what do you like to do with your squads about like it's okay to miss if we're doing like these things yeah yeah definitely uh kind of my spin servers have, have the green light for sure um all they're trying to do is hit it hard and try to find a lane um float server is different story we're we're tactically we have a plan we should be hitting this person for these reasons um and you know you know we had i don't know both of my middles were first year guys um when when we won and and they've never been to a provincial final and like this is there's a lot of pressure so they're going back to the service line they've missed a few and you know that's when you start to break down the components of the serve and you're thinking, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. And it's actually the exact wrong thing to be, to be thinking, right? Just kind of one thing, find a good contact or whatever it might be. So I try not to overload them with too many pieces of technical information, especially in a pressure filled moment like that. It's just, Hey, we need this one in at this person, find a good contact. Um, and then you know, it didn't work. That that coaching uh, message didn't quite work in, in the provincial final. So then we addressed it in training. We really, really wrapped it out in training. And then come national final, if we come into that moment again, it's, look, we've we've prepped. We've done this. Trust your training. Go do it. And again, I apologize for not doing more research. I should know this. Does PacWest play with the same ball that Nationals does, the Molten? Yes, yeah, we're with the Molten. Okay, that's got to help your your spin servers have a little bit of confidence because I always find the teams that have like two weeks to prep for the Molten, everybody gets a little brave yeah. and starts to go pretty aggressive from the service line where the whole year you've been using another ball, right? So it does change it a touch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Nice, man. Well, just to switch gears, because I know you're, you're a beach guy too. Uh, so you've accomplished so much on the indoor side, but I actually missed this in your intro. You're going to coach Team BC at Canada Games. So with you coaching not only at the seaside level, but with Team BC, what is it that you love about the beach game that you're willing to, you know, take your off season and keep coaching year round? I think it's, it, I'm still coaching volleyball, but I'm not coaching volleyball. <laughs> you know, if that <laughs> makes sense. Like it's, it couldn't be more of a different game. So it feels like I'm still involved in the game, but I am getting a break from indoor volleyball, which I think is important. You can't just go all the way through. Um, so that's awesome. I, I love that. It's, you know, um, it's more indoor. You're more about team. You're 18 guys. You're about how do you work in a team and, and be a great contributing member of society and everything like that. And then beach, you're in a partnership. It's more like a marriage. It's, you know, how do you be a great partner? How do you, you know, how do you do 60, 40, uh, always giving 60% and taking 40, whatever it might be. Um, I love that it's, it's outdoors instead of indoors in, in the time of year when I really want to be outdoors. Um, you know, uh, and it's a great community here. We have in BC the the KBVA uh, Kids Beach Volleyball Association is is phenomenal. They're they're super welcoming to to my younger guys who come up. And we just had uh, Luke DeGrief and Dan Everton. They just came top four in a volleyball BC this last weekend up in Penticton during a, an unbelievable heat wave. So you know that's a huge testament to the community we have at Kids Beach, and uh, I, I just love being in that environment and does your approach address that like obviously you're still gonna have meetings and you're still gonna run good sessions and things like that but are you encouraging that they're they're strategizing with their partner and they're kind of working on that relationship like how would you maybe change your approach slightly from indoor to beach other than the the things you just mentioned about the size of the squad and kind of the inner workings of like big team versus relationship well, I, I like beached again sorry I missed that one is is that it preps you I think a little bit more for life. 
So like indoor, we're running into problems. I can call a timeout. You know, I can give them some feedback, whatever it might be. We can switch some things. On beach, we don't have that luxury. There's there's no coaching. I, I believe there's going to be no coaching at Canada Summer Games, and I hope not. Not because I want to just sit back and watch. It's actually I like I like being in control, and for me to sit back and watch is is not very fun. But in terms of growth for the athletes, they have to respond in real time to to what's going on in the game. You know, they have to come up with their own strategies in terms of wind. You know, if the wind changes, we can't prepare and plan for everything and they need to be smart and be able to to respond to to what's going on in the match, which I think is is a metaphor for life. And, and that's why I love sport. Uh, it just prepares you so well for life. And with the Canada Games gig, when uh, when will you select your squad and then how is that done? Is that through like a trials where the, the winner of that tournament gets to go? Is it through a tryout? Like what, what's your process out in BC for Canada Games? Yeah, so we were supposed to be this summer, but it's it's now uh, been postponed to next summer. So this summer, uh, we're taking 10 to 12 guides. We have a selection tournament at the end of the month. Um, I, I think we're going to do top three teams, automatically make the team for this summer. So that's six guys. And then I'll take another four to six guys that I think, you know, give give this guy a summer training and, and a year of physical development, and, and he could seriously be in the hunt for next year. Um, so that's what we'll do this summer. And then next summer, we whittle it down to four. And that's our four-person kind of training camp. And then from there, uh, I'm going to select two. And that's that's the pair that I take to Niagara. Wow. Nice. I, I yeah. like how it, it involves a lot of athletes. But yeah, at the end of the day, you only have two spots to give. But I think that that's a good development model to expose as many people to your coaching at once as you can and, and keep them around, like you said, for a year of development versus just pick your two now and train them up, right? Exactly. Yeah. And things can change, you know, like especially guys that age, they, they can grow six inches in a year at that age. So you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. It's going to be unbelievably difficult because it's not just Dan and Luke like, who just came top four in, in that volleyball BC tournament. Like there's a lot of guys who are, you know, living at the beach right now that are, that are really seriously making some noise against legitimate adults in on the kbva so it's it's gonna be tough but that's good that's why we're gonna be a very strong team i think yeah definitely and i I may have skipped over this just for our listeners who aren't familiar with the the bc scene there can you just take us through just the the catchment area of seaside volleyball club and just what you have access to because i remember speaking to luke degrief at uh canada cup and he mentioned that like the the island guys don't always go to kits right like there's kind of like a different community for them to play in and obviously if you're younger you're not going to travel that much so maybe just explain to us like your your area of development how many kids are interested like just what the scene is there because i think uh we've celebrated the kbva and like the kids scene but there's there are some good pockets around the bc area just in every community right yeah, definitely. Uh, like I obviously I lived for ten years in Victoria, so shout out to the the Willows Beach crew over there. Um, their their level just keeps getting higher and higher, and and that's why Luke's able to to get a lot better. And and Luke's little brother Piers the grief, uh, he just turned sixteen last week, and and he's you know finishing top ten in a climber, which is. <laughs> is absolutely unbelievable. So a testament to that little pocket that you got the godfather, they call him, uh, Mark Schilling is his name. And there's no courts. We don't have any courts down at Willow's Beach. There's no posts or anything like that. And so he comes, he's a construction guy. He's, he's around 60 years old and he he like rakes the sand. He 
drills holes into the logs so that we can put uh, pulley systems, like clip them onto the logs. Um, when there's a storm, he gets the crew out in, you know, in December and, and that's their workout is going into the sand and moving logs and, and getting the courts ready. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable what, what the Godfather and, and the boys down at Willow's Beach are, are doing there. It's pretty cool. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, we got lots of pockets all over the place. I think, uh, Ducks Beach has really produced some, some great athletes, uh, Matt Batad and, and Ange, uh, Ventresco are they're they're making a lot of noise as two kind of little guys from the the Ducks Beach crew and and they're you know first first year guys they just finished their first year and they're coming top side of Clivers too which is amazing considering you know they're both five foot ten slash five foot eight maybe um yeah there's little pockets I coach a program down at Seaside which is in South Surrey um yeah and some some really good athletes are coming out of there as well Nice, nice. And I love how you mentioned Clivers. And I, I think what I like about that format is if you're good enough, you're old enough. And it is a pretty welcoming community where you mentioned like the, the younger degree Pierce there, he's, he's finishing top 10 as a 16 year old, right? So how important do you think that is for athletes to go through that where they're they're playing against adults, they're playing against, you know, university and college guys, but even older, like guys who have played most of their lives, like how important is that format to a younger guy when they're learning the beach game? I think it's amazing uh, in terms of growth. Obviously, uh, you know, there's no growth in the comfort zone. And and they're certainly out of their comfort zone. They're coming over, playing in different sand. They're playing against guys they don't know anything about. They're having the game plan on the fly, everything like that. So it really gets them out of their comfort zone and gets them growing. But what I like even more than that is just just seeing kind of the humility of these these top players and and how amazing they are and you know, like a, like a Logan Mend who, who won the Penticton tournament. Like, he's just the nicest guy in the world. Um, he, you know, the last Cliver he played with Curtis Stockton, who played national team Australia. Uh, they won the Cliver together. And just, like, you could not have two nicer guys. So you're going up these guys. They're absolutely thrashing you. And you'd think they'd be all cocky and, you know, thinking they're the stuff. But they're coming up to you after the game and saying, oh, that was that was amazing. Like, you did this, you did that. And then they're also kind of talking to you about, you know, what, what could you do differently? What if you tried this? Hey, I noticed you were serving on that side of the court. Did you think about the wind and what's going on with the wind? So it just teaches them, you know, like you can, first of all, how to become a great player, but also once you get to that kind of level, uh, how you can also be a great person at the same time. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome to hear. I'm, I'm a big Logan fan, so I'm sure he's standing a little bit taller after hearing that compliment. So thank you for that. And uh, so with your with your club in Seaside, um, how do you guys like to run your beach program? Like uh, we did some presentations for coaches around the country there, and I think it's neat that, uh, you know, you can put six athletes on a court and, and do really well. I think eights may be pushing it. And I think any more than that, they're not going to have a good experience. But I'm, I'm wondering with your community, your access to courts, like how do you guys like to want to attract kids to the beach? And then how do you like to like logistically run the program when you do get them there? Yeah, I'm actually so with the Seaside group, I'm not really running anything high performance. It's more just an introductory program, um, getting kids to, to kind of, you know, transition from indoor to beach, getting them familiar with the beach and some of the differences between the two games. So, um, yeah, I, we, we never have more than six per court because I agree that it's it's a little much after that. Um, and it's just trying to teach them, you know, how to transition their skills from indoor into beach and maybe learn some new skills for the beach. Um, so, yeah, we're not doing a lot 
And like it's only about a one month program with Seaside. My focus is more on on the Team BC group for sure. Nice. And when does Team BC start? Like obviously COVID is throwing a wrench in everything, but uh, when does that program typically start? And when would you get like your group together? Like obviously school has to end, but with Canada Games, maybe it's a touch older. So maybe you're targeting older athletes, right? So kind of just lay out what, what the plan is for that program. Yeah, all the guys are, are graduated now. Like they're, I guess, finished their second year university because the same athletes are eligible. So they've since the postponing, they've they've just moved the same athletes up. Um, yeah, we're our our selection camp should have been way earlier, but with COVID, we just decided to kind of run it as late as possible. So our selection camps at the end of July, we have a camp and then a tournament, and then we'll have two kind of training blocks in August. Nice. Um, yeah. And then next summer plan to start way earlier. Uh, Maverick hatch is kind of my counterpoint on the, on the women's side of things for, for team BC. Um, and we've been talking, uh, about kind of getting together early, maybe, maybe, uh, kind of end of June, maybe May, maybe even over spring break next year. And we're organizing a trip to either Oregon or, or California to really prepare them. Awesome. Awesome. So I like how you mentioned with your youth club, like you're going to do the differences and just kind of get them comfortable and playing. But with the Team BC program, are are there systems that you really believe in or or getting comfortable or like hitting out of the middle or hitting at the pin? Like, is there anything that you really believe in that you're going to try to kind of instill in all these athletes? Like any just big pillars that you think every beach player would better if they could do these things, excuse me, these things? Well, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but, uh, <laughs> for, yeah, but uh, no, um, obviously, obviously can control and, and understanding the game and, and tactically responding to, you know, both what the other opponents doing and what the elements are doing are, is huge. Um, I think watching international ball, you're starting to see a lot more wide sets, a lot more tempo sets, um, especially in transition. Uh, you know, you watch uh, Mole and Sorum. Whenever Sorum digs, you know, in transition, he's almost always running fast, even though he's on the ground laying out. Oh, he's up right away and and running before the block can really uh, get settled. So I, I think that's something I'm going to explore with. But I think at the same time, you also have to be aware of of your your team. So it, some teams might be very capable of that, and it will work very well to them. But others, it actually might be a bit of a disadvantage to them. So you know, it's about learning your athletes and seeing, trying things out and seeing, you know, what, what things will actually work for them and, and what things do we want to just focus on, on doing really well. Now it, it might be too soon to tell, but I, I would be pleasantly surprised if Van Open happens, but I think BC, as far as provinces go, you might be one of the earliest ones, if not first that, uh, I think volleyball BC has run one or two events, a couple of climbers have happened. So how do you like to lay out the season? Because it can be really long going from indoor to beach. Like, do you encourage people to play as much as they can? Do you have a seasonal plan talking about like, this is when you need your rest. This is when you play, or obviously like the, the more the play, the better they're going to get, but obviously you don't want to do it too much. So with you guys having access to so many different competitions, uh, how do you like to lay it out for your athletes? Maybe for this, this Canada games kind of camp-based program. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, Cause you have kind of two things. Well, with, with COVID, uh, obviously no competitions for the last year. So they've been really training. And if you look at like, the long-term athlete development model at this age, you know, you, you need a little bit more competition, a little bit less training. And, and right now they're actually at about hundred percent training and zero competition. So I'm, I'm all for them competing right now as much as they can to try to get that balance back up. Um, but I know like, you know, uh, Dan and Luke, they're, they're at York. 
And I'm sure, you know, their weightlifting programs have them on hypertrophy right now. <laughs> and and I, that's really not conducive to, to performing at your highest level. So it's something I'm definitely going to need to look at, making sure they they have a, a good workout program for themselves and their coaches understand that, that we need to be performing at our highest level come, come Canada Summer Games in Niagara. And if they're on these, you know, uh, lifting programs that have them really building muscle at, at that time, uh, it's not going to be conducive to success. So we're, we're going to have to have that conversation, but I think that's one for, for kind of next uh, spring. Yeah, definitely. I think coach, uh, Dan Gronveld, he'd be happy to have a, a squad at Canada game. So I'm sure they'll, they'll make a plan to taper you guys for sure. But, uh, yeah, always something to be considered. And just a, another nugget you dropped there that you, you mentioned, like you kind of believe in LTAD and you follow their principles. You've mentioned that you're, you're educated in like attachment theory or you're, you're a teacher by trade. When you get access to like this theory, how do you confirm or deny it on your own? Like, are you honestly just a, a guy who's going to try certain things and reflect on it? Or because I think in the coaching world, there's a ton of theory out there. And every once in a while, I'll listen to a podcast or watch a, a YouTube video and nod my head and be like, oh, that's really great. And then try it and it blows up in my face. So I'm curious, uh, what's been your approach that you're aware of all this knowledge? Like you're, you're a teacher by trade, like I said, how do you trial and error and figure out what's going to work for you? That's, that's an amazing question. Um, yeah, it's, I guess you can't just dive into a theory or, or you know, uh, execute something that you, you've read or heard about uh, just because, you know, it, it has some scientific backing in terms of results. You also need to be true to yourself and, and the kind of per- person you are. Um, so I think for me, the attachment theory stuff, uh, it, it works well with, with who I am as a person. And, and I, I want to honor who I am as a person and not try to change myself because I think that's like um, Bandura social modeling theory is another one to really go with. And that's just about trying to exemplify uh, for your athletes as well, because they're going to learn a lot from you. So going back to the, the long-term athlete development, that the last phase is, is actually active for life. And so if, if our goal is to get there, then I should be uh, a model for that as well. So I, I'm trying to still be active, even with the, the child and everything like that, so that they can see, look, Hey, this is, this is what we're trying to get to. Um, and the attachment theory, like, I mean, it's easy to say that, uh, you know, that we won the national championship and so clearly it worked, but that's not necessarily true, but you know, it just in my heart of hearts, I just have such an amazing feeling, uh, with, with my athletes. And I think it comes from that. And to me, that's positively reinforcing the implication of that theory, the application of that theory. Awesome, man. Awesome. That, that's great to hear that. I think you're, you're really on the relationship side of coaching, not to like water down your, your technical tactical knowledge, but it sounds like it all starts with the relationship stuff. And then you kind of build from there, which is just uh, amazing to hear. So uh, I, I am curious, you've already given us those nuggets. Is there anything else that's kind of a pillar of yours? Like you mentioned the attachment theory, uh, modeling behavior, I think is, is a big one. And I think that's in a lot of the NCCP stuff lately that they're, they're picking up that on that as well. But uh, just to kind of put you on the spot, is there anything else? Cause I'm just writing notes as I go and I'm sure our listeners are picking up nuggets here. Is there anything else we should be Googling or looking into that you're a big believer in? Oh, yeah, no, I, I guess like uh, growth mindset is such, such a big thing. So I, I think that's huge. And, and uh, I, my mentor, one of my other mentors was Mike Gillery at UFE. He coached a, a couple of Canada Summer Games teams uh, as well on the beach side of things. And he's going to be my assistant this summer. 
uh, and he's the new head coach of the Capilano men's team. So he's taken over from me. Um, and the biggest thing I learned from him was he brought in this guy named Trevor Reagan, who's with this program called train ugly. Um, and just like, you know, light bulb moment in, in my brain when it happened. And it's, it's, for me, it's about not only sport, but it's about life. And, you know, I'm, I'm able to teach this kind of stuff to my guys, like the train ugly stuff and the growth mindset, but I also apply it to my own life. You know, it's helped me big time, like, especially in, I'm a musician as well. And so guitar and singing, um, ever since this, this growth mindset stuff, you know, like I used to be a little scared to, to sing in public and stuff like that. And now it's just like, you know, I get these butterflies when I'm performing live, but wow, this just means it's something special. And it's an amazing opportunity to get outside of my comfort zone and learn and what a motivator to practice and everything like that. So yeah, I think, uh, Carol Dweck growth mindset and, uh, check out Trevor Reagan. He's got some amazing stuff. Awesome, man. Awesome to hear. And I was hoping, can you give me a, an example of what growth mindset looks like in your gym? Like we've had John Mayer from coach your brains out on our pod. And like he said, the most obvious one is you can't encourage learning and then yell at somebody when they make mistakes. Like, I think that's the biggest <laughs> mistake sometimes coaches make, but, uh, for, for you, what does growth mindset look like either in your gym or when you're coaching a beach session about like, uh, how do you apply that and model that? Well, yeah. So the John Mayer stuff, they're like, yeah, for sure. Like, I think you can kind of get upset with them, but you have to have developed that relationship first. So that's, that's what we want to do, develop the team bonding and their relationship with me and the other coaches so that they feel comfortable getting out of their comfort zone, if that makes sense, <laughs> you know, get into that growth zone. And what it looks like in the gym is just training either under pressure or under chaos and both. Uh, I'm a huge fan it is if you train in chaos, when you get to the game, uh, things are going to calm down for you a lot. So we do a lot of kind of Swedish drills, a lot of two ball tennis. A lot of uh, don't don't drop the baby. So you're having to focus on other things at the same time executing a skill. And so when you get to the actual game, when you know a rally's three four seconds long, you have ten seconds between rallies, whatever it might be, things seem really slow and, and calm. And that's when you're able to to really execute. And like we do these two ball these two ball uh, like don't drop the baby or popcorn drills all the time. And I, I don't know if you've seen that highlight with Chris Laguardia from our uh, seaside provincial final. Uh, Brody Hofer swung a pipe ball at him that he just mashed a pipe ball at, at LaGuardia Gonzalo Libero in position five. And LaGuardia barely got it up. Mike Dohaniak turned, just kind of touched it back to LaGuardia, who was still on the ground, and he punched it over. Uh, ended up landing a deep corner and scoring to, for us to win that second set and force a third set tiebreak that we went on to win. But you know, under the most pressure with there's hundreds of people watching in that game that doesn't happen. He doesn't let his reactions just take over, you know, without all of the popcorn drills, don't drop the baby two ball. We did that stuff all the time. And it's pretty cool to see it happen at such a big point in, in the tournament for sure. Yeah. It's awesome to hear you describe how it has like a purpose in your gym because I've seen them. I, I like them enough, but really they're just a warm up game where now you've got me on board where I think I'm going to be a, be, uh, a bigger believer in these. And then when you say build pressure in your environment, is that mostly relative to the score or are you, you know, riling a guy up or cheering them on? Like, how would we give you an example of like creating pressure in, in your environment as well? Well, yeah, like I think 
pressure is is an amazing thing. Like that's something we should all want to play with. Uh, if if we're feeling that pressure, that means it's a very meaningful situation, and which is awesome. Um, I know I was watching a lot of the VNL, and they were in the fifth set of uh, against China. Uh, I think they were tied at twelve all, and their coach, their message was pretend it's five five. So pretend it's a lower pressure situation. And to me, that's that's the exact wrong message to send, you know, like, let's welcome this pressure and let's say, hey, it's 12 all we train, you know, I, I end almost every practice leading up to to big competitions with with a 20 all drill. So you, you play at 20, 20 all. And if you ever lose a, a set point, you go back to where we started. So you're up 24, 23 serving, you lose that point. Well, now you're down 24, 20. So it's trying to simulate that pressure in training so that when we get to those 12 all fifth set moments, I'm able to say, hey, guys, we train this every day. Trust your training. Enjoy the moment. You're feeling the pressure because this this is a meaningful situation that you're in. Welcome it and go execute. Yeah, that's so great to hear. I'm totally with you on that. I hate when I overhear a timeout. Oh, all the pressure's on them. Well, no, it's not. And and you ignoring it doesn't mean it's going to go away, right? So I think addressing it or finding a way to enjoy it or make it feel special, I think that's definitely the way to go versus, oh, no, we're we're down 1923, but all the pressure's on them. No, it's not. Like We got to deliver here, right? So, man. And, you know, VNL, these are... These are professional athletes on that team. Uh, you think they don't know, like, you know, they know volleyball. We, we shouldn't be pretending like we're somewhere else. We should be in the moment. Awesome. Well said. And I'm just looking at the clock and I, I've taken a lot of your time. I, I want to thank uh, Chase again for just giving me the nudge that I should have called you earlier. This has been a great one. We'll have to get you back on. But for now, uh, the closer we're trying to make a tradition is just to tell a funny story. So obviously, we've heard about your experience, your, your upbringing through the sport world and through a coaching family. But uh, man, something odd or funny must have happened along the way here. So I was hoping you could just share a laugh with us before we let you go. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's a lot. The question is if they're uh, you know listener appropriate or not. But no, <laughs> I, I got one for sure. Um, yeah, we, when I was with Camos and we were in a, a provincial semifinal, and we were we were at Douglas College playing in the provincial championship. I, I can't even remember who we were playing, but uh, we we were in the um, the team room. We're having our pregame chat, our, our prep. It, it goes really well. We're thinking, okay, boys are ready. You know, we're about ready to walk on the court. And Charles and I are hanging back and everyone's left the team room and we just got our, our setter. He's, he's still in the team room and he doesn't have his shorts on yet. So he's just in his, uh, his underwear, um, just cotton boxers kind of thing. And he's taping, uh, his, the, uh, the, the bottom of his boxers to his leg. So he's doing like circles around his leg with, with the tape on, on both legs. And we're like, like, this is weird. Like, wasn't aware of any injuries. I mean, I don't think it's an injury because like, why would you tape your boxers to your legs? So <laughs> we go up to him and we say, Hey, like, what are you doing? And he says, I just, I got some really bad diarrhea and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to jump set a ball and I'm just going to lose total control of my bowels. So I'm, I'm taping my, my boxers to my legs. So I at least contain it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much the funniest uh, thing that's happened right before a provincial semifinal. So how do you play? Uh, 
I actually think he was our backup at the time. So he maybe got in for a few points, but I, I think that probably would have been the uh, <laughs> the thing that just made us decide not to play him, you know, in double sub situations and things like that. Yeah, they don't cover these situations in the NCCP coaching clinic. Yeah, yeah. It's just pure gold, okay? <laughs> well, Dave, this has been awesome, man. Thanks for sharing all that you did. It was great to hear your journey and everything that you've accomplished and to steal as many tidbits as I could there. I was taking notes as we went. Hopefully, our listeners got a kick out of this as well. So, we'll have to get you back on soon and good luck with your prep. I mean, Canada Games has been delayed, but it's still exciting and coming next year. So, best of luck with that and everything else you've got going on. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it.